Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The news continues. Let's hand over to Michael Smirkanish in CNN Tonight. Michael? Anderson, thank you so much. I am Michael Smirkanish, and welcome to CNN Tonight. We have a special in-studio guest this evening. The perfect person who has borne the brunt of autocratic rule and is here to sound alarm bells about the future of democracy. And that's a subject that President Biden warned the world about today, citing a backward slide of democracy globally, calling it the defining challenge of our time. Democracy needs champions. We know as well as anyone that renewing our democracy and strengthening our democratic institutions requires constant effort. American democracy is an ongoing struggle to live up to our highest ideals and to heal our divisions. President Biden hosted the very first Summit for Democracy, did it virtually, and promised that he'll keep fighting to pass critical legislation to shore up the foundation of American democracy, that is, our sacred right to vote. You heard him touch on our own homegrown threats to freedom, but this was very much a message to the masses around the world. During this week, he confronted two rising authoritarian states, Russia and China, over their actions. He's shaming China for its increasing aggression against Taiwan and human rights abuses and issued a diplomatic boycott of the Olympics. And the president called on Vladimir Putin this week to try to thwart a Russian invasion of Ukraine as the country amasses tens of thousands of troops at its border. Today, Biden spoke directly with Ukraine's President Zelensky, reiterating America's commitment to its sovereignty. So these are heavy times abroad. And here at home, democracy can't be taken for granted. January 6th should certainly have taught us that lesson. But in Georgia, a Trump-backed candidate for governor, that would be former U.S. Senator David Perdue, is now openly proclaiming that he would have acted to overturn the 2020 election results by not certifying the Georgia vote if he'd been the governor at the time. Now, if you're looking for hope amid the ongoing discord in America, you got some of that today. I thought it was a beautiful moment for democracy when the late Senate Majority Leader Bob Dole returned to the Capitol one last time to lie in state, a patriot of the highest order from the greatest generation, a Republican who worked across the aisle to cut deals with the other side for the good of the country. And for a moment in time today, Dole in death brought our bitterly divided Washington together. You saw Speaker Pelosi and House Minority Leader McCarthy honoring Dole together in prayer. We saw Senate Majority Leader Schumer and his counterpart, Mitch McConnell, do the same. One of Dole's final asks as an American, expressed in his final opinion, published after his death on Sunday, was for politicians to put aside their party labels and work for the common good. And for a fleeting moment, we witnessed that earlier. And listen to the words of a man who served in the Senate with Dole for 25 years on the other side of the aisle. We meet here in the very heart of American democracy, the capital of the United States of America, to receive a hero 
of that democracy for a, uh, a final time. Robert Joseph Dole. Bob and I, like many of us here, we disagreed on a number of things, but not on any of the fundamental things. We still found a way to work together. May we follow his wisdom and his timeless truth and reach consensus on the basic fundamental principles we all agree on. Democracy itself used to be something about which we all agreed, but both here and around the world, it's being confronted by powerful forces of autocracy. And that's our global challenge tonight. I want to know what you think. I want to know what your level of concern is about the fate and future of democracy. So reach out to me during this hour via social media, and I'll share some responses throughout the course of the program. Joining me now, someone who knows all too well what's at stake. He's a former chess grandmaster turned democracy warrior. Gary Kasparov is a native of the former Soviet Union. He has firsthand experience living in an authoritarian state. He says he's always understood that democracy is a privilege, one that must be constantly defended and warns we can either be the generation that renews democracy or loses it forever. Today, he's the chair of the Human Rights Foundation and the Renew Democracy Initiative Gary, so great to have you. I remember you telling me a story about you attending an event, I think a court hearing for Pussy Riot in yes. 2012. Yes. Getting what? Thrown in a van, roughed up? Oh, that's, uh, fortunately, that's, uh, that was normal. And it's still normal in Russia. Yes, I was taken out of the crowd, you know, put in a van, and then was beaten. Um, and uh, I was lucky. It was 2012, nine years ago. It's, you may call it a vegetarian time in Russia. So they threatened to put me in jail for five years, allegedly for biting a policeman. So everybody could see that I was beaten. I couldn't even uh, uh, use my, 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 my teeth. So I could only shout. Uh, today, for anything similar, you know, you go in jail. So for two years, for five years, for 10 years, all people who marched with me peacefully on the streets of Russia, and I have to emphasize, we had no violence whatsoever, no broken windows, no, of course, burned cars. The only violence on the streets of uh, Russia always came from Putin's riot police and his security services. All these people now is in exile, like myself, in jail, like Alexei Navalny, or killed, like Boris Nemtsov. There's something going on around the globe. There's a rise, and you've written about this, of authoritarian leaders. What's driving it? Look, it's not just the rise, you know, it's we are entering the age of darkness. There's the, according to Freedom House, it's about 20% of the global population live in the free countries. Just imagine, 20%. So the 80% of people, they experience, you know, just uh, problems from totalitarian regimes to some sort of illiberal democracies, but they are not living in the free country. So that's why, you know, we want Americans to appreciate what you have and to fight for it. Not just to fight against something, but to fight for something. And that's why we rallied at 52 uh, dissidents from 28 oppre- oppressive countries. We just, you know, we had this project, thanks to CNN, it's put it on, on air and on, uh, on uh, CNN.com. It's warning Americans about the dangers to democracy and your, you know, your obligations to fight for it. You've argued that American culture is under assault from both the left and the right. How so? Yeah, you have, you know, this is uh, the two dangers. On, on the right, you have cult of personality. On the left, you have cult of ideology. But right now, you could see that the left, you know, can handle it. So because Biden, you know, you, may call, you cannot call him a socialist. You cannot call him a progressive. His administration is trying to find the middle ground. While on the right, I mean, we just, we just saw something. Now, that's just, it's, the, it's the, the senator, former senator, running for governor, publicly saying that he would 
deny the rights of Americans to make their choice. And uh, just, you know, recently, Tucker Carlson defended Putin and Putin's aggression against Ukraine. What did he say? Oh, basically said that Putin had no other choice but to defend Russian Western borders, defending borders. So the Trump media celebrating Putin's attacks on Ukraine. And we hear, you know, more and more the calls, you know, to to, uh, um, deny the rights of Americans to make their choices. And it's, as I said, sacred rights to vote. So it's very important to remember that, you know, we have to find this, this is middle road. And I was very pleased as a chairman of Renewing Democracy Initiative to hear words about renewing democracy. From, from the president, from President Biden. And I think it's important to remember that for democracy to survive, it must be renewed all the time. Well, what does that mean? What is it that we're supposed to do the, as Americans? Oh, let's just look. There, there are different kind of challenges for, for a generation. And it's now America is still, you know, still viewed as many of us, people who were born and raised in oppressive countries, as the beacon of hope, as a leader. You have to act as, as, as a country that is leading the world. And remember that, you know, ignoring what's happening in Russia, in China, in Afghanistan, in Iran, in, in Venezuela, backfires. Because it's the, the, the world is globalized and trying to pretend that it's, it's America first, America only, will we'll, we'll, we'll put you in, in, in trouble. And of course, you know, just find, find a way to elect politicians who will defend democracy. And it's, that should be probably a major test now. You talked about Bob Dole, about, you know, about bipartisanship. What is bipartisanship now? It's more like a tribalism. I'm of a certain age that uh, civics was a part of my public school education. I'm thinking that there's something to be done in the education system for young Americans so that this is not taken for granted. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, I think learning from people who, uh, who fought uh, against authoritarian and totalitarian regimes abroad is very important. And, and uh, Renew Democracy Initiative is working hard to actually bring these people in and share this experience in, in the colleges, uh, in, in social media. And again, just remember that it's just, you know, it's the... Uh, it, for Americans, you know, sometimes it's very hard to appreciate uh, the, the, the freedom that, you know, you, you take for granted. Well, can I say to that point, and it's so great to have you here. I can think of no one I'd rather have this conversation with than Gary Kasparov. But the subject matter that you're raising tonight is the sort of thing that for most of my adult life, I never worried about. This was always the stuff of your old country. This was the stuff of, of the Soviet Union. All of a sudden, like, this but, is the United never, States? But look, I never thought, even, you know, understanding that how powerful KGB was, I never thought about KGB's ability to influence American elections, to influence American voters, to have, you know, major American media outlets uh, repeating KGB Kremlin talking points. Right. Hey, let's celebrate American freedom by responding quickly to some social media, okay? All right, put up on the screen what we have that I can share with my guest, Gary Kasparov. I'll read it out loud. What is at risk is more than democracy in the United States. So much of the democratic world maintains democracy because of the U.S. I fear that an unstable U.S. will destabilize the world Things are not good. You would say absolutely, what? absolutely, and it's reciprocity. It's you know, it's it's not that U.S. and the world. It's we are in on the same boat, and U.S. still has a st- steering wheel. So you you lose control, everything goes bust. Do you, do you think we've lost that position as being the nation that the world looks? You to? are steadily losing it, but it, it is. It's, there's no, no other country that can replace America. Again, it's, just, it's not about, you know, uh, 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 Pax Americana. It's about American leadership. Leadership means that you lead. You don't dictate, but you lead. One more, quickly, if we can, for Gary Kasparov. So fortunate to have him. The financial and political trends certainly point to not simply changing America, but to the disintegration of all that American democracy has accomplished And for the democracy itself, times are changing too quickly. It is frighteningly unnoticed by the general public. 
Uh, yeah, it's, 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 I think it's being noticed by general public, but just people don't understand the roots of the problem. And again, it's very important to emphasize that American democracy can survive only if America regains its, its, its leadership, because we all connected, Americans, Russian, Chinese, Afghanis, and every failure of America to support democracy elsewhere in the world, you know, uh, resonates back here. That's why it's so important for Biden to call for this summit. All I want is just to see some, you know, the, the, the follow-ups. It's, it's not just, you know, talk, but we need some, some instruments can for he, democracies to, to work together. Democracies, not those who pay lip service, right. but real democracies. Can Biden handle Putin? I hope so. Definitely, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's a very positive shift from the previous administration, but we yet to see more and more uh, transparency in Biden's policy. And I was not very happy with the way he handled Geneva and, 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 and the last uh, phone call with Putin. Appreciate your being here. Thank you, thank Gary, you so much. Gary Kasparov, thank you for coming in. And please make sure you're going to Smirconish.com. We have a survey question tonight. It's this, different subject, but we'll get to it. Should states be required to fund religious education? Yes or no? Supreme Court just had that. I'm asking the question because later this hour, I'll speak with a mom who was a litigant and fighting to make it happen. She'll tell us why she took her case to the United States Supreme Court. But up next, former Philadelphia Mayor Michael Nutter joins me. As our shared hometown faces an epidemic of murders, we'll look at who he's holding responsible, and we'll do that next. Seems to me that at the core of the record high murder rates that we're seeing, a very basic struggle. How do we reform what can be an unjust system while also ensuring public safety? Take Philadelphia as an example. The city's homicide rate is up 57%. From just two years ago, 104 percent from 2015. Michael Nutter was mayor back then. In a recent op-ed, he asked, quote, how many more black and brown people and others would have to be gunned down in our streets daily to meet your definition of a crisis? That was a direct retort to the city's current district attorney who drew heat for saying that the city's 524 murders so far this year somehow isn't a crisis. The DA, Larry Krasner, by the way, trying to do some cleanup now, calling his comments inarticulate. I should point out we did invite him to join us tonight on the program, but his office has not responded. But the former mayor is here, Michael Nutter. Great to see you again. Good to see you. Did you receive the sort of apology that you thought was appropriate with him saying it was inarticulate? Well, I don't think his comments were inarticulate. They were just ignorant. Um, And it's not me, certainly, that he needs to apologize to. He needs to apologize to the now 524 families, the thousands who have a family member killed, or the thousands of people who have been shot. Um, It was a full-on statement um, filled with, you know, his level of rhetoric uh, and inability to accept responsibility for his role. It's not the sole role, but DA has a role to play in criminal justice in prosecuting violent criminals and then working with the police, working with the uh, city administration, working with the courts uh, to make sure that we have some semblance of justice and reform. It is a false choice to somehow try to sell the citizens of this city that you can either have public safety or you can have police reform. You can actually do both. You said something pretty explosive, I thought, in the op-ed that I made reference to a moment ago. I'm going to put it up on the screen. You said, it takes a certain audacity of ignorance and white privilege to say that right now, a comment of his, 
As of Monday night, 521 people, souls, spirits have been vanquished, eliminated, murdered in our city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. The most since 1960, I have to wonder what kind of messed up world of white wokeness Krasner is living in to have so little regard for humans' lives lost, many of them black and brown, while he advances his own national profile as a progressive DA. White wokeness. Speak to me about that. Well, there's a certain privilege uh, that some people have, and there's this this whole woke idea. You know, I, I wish some of these woke people would go back to sleep. Uh, they're not being helpful uh, in the conversation. And again, this idea uh, that somehow all police are bad, that black and brown people and others don't like the police, uh, and that we're just going to um, somehow reform our way uh, out of uh, a explosive situation. It's Michael, not just a Philly thing, Mayor. I, I right? understand that. But but I live in Philly. Right. So I'm focused on Philly. Right. So in 2014, sadly, while I was still mayor, there were 248 homicides. In 2015, there were 280. In 2013, there were 246. All too many in all those years. But that was the first time since the 60s that we had less than 300 homicides three years in a row. The totals from 2014 and 2015, sadly, by this weekend, will be eclipsed by 2021's number. Those two numbers together are 528. We're at 524 on Thursday. God knows what will happen this weekend. So this whole... Let me me ask you this. On the the issue of of white wokeness, why was he just reelected and by a healthy margin and with the support of a lot of folks of color? I mean, this this is ravaging the minority community in particular, right? Let's tell that to a national audience. So why did so many folks who were most affected vote for Larry Krasner? Well, first of all, um, you know Philadelphia as well as I do, uh, as well as I do. Um, The primary election primarily is is the election. Yeah because of our massive uh, voter registration as Democrats and Republicans. If you win the Democratic primary in May, unless you are indicted and convicted, uh, you will go on to win uh, in the general election. I'm not going to comment on the primary candidate and who it was and how they ran their campaign, but Larry Krasner has sold the citizens of the city this idea that I'm going to protect you from the police, and that's all that matters. There have been officers who have done things. There are systematic issues, certainly with our police department and others across the country, that can be reformed. But at the same time, you still have to focus on the fact that some guy shot a a pregnant woman coming from a baby shower, killed her and her and her unborn child. That another mother walking down the street with her twin four year old kids was gunned down. And on and on and on and on. So what are we doing about that? Okay, I got a quick final question for you. I remember you, correct me if I'm wrong, as being an advocate of stop and frisk. Mm -hmm. I remember a lot of things. I remember Mayor Bloomberg embracing you as like a protege of sorts and bringing you up to New York and so forth. And it seems like you brought that, that message back to Philly. If you were mayor today, are you engaging in stop and frisk? First of all, the city of Philadelphia, like every other city since about 1968, have been using some form of that police tactic. There were wrong things done during that time, and I've apologized for that. The goal here is not about stopping and frisking people. The goal is to get people to stop carrying illegal guns. And if you think that there's a chance that your illegal gun will be taken from you, it's really hard to shoot somebody if you don't have your weapon on you. So we need to say focus on that. 
uh, as a part of a much larger uh, series of policing tactics. What I'd like to talk about is public safety tactics. So it's not about one thing. We didn't do just one thing Got it. to lower the numbers nope, in Philadelphia. No, understood. Just wanted to take your temperature yeah. on that. Quick social media reaction. Will you join me in responding to it? What do we have for Mayor Nutter? Uh, blaming crime on progressive DAs is total BS. You know the reason BLM protested by the millions in every city is because of systematic racism and police brutality. Crime is a product of years of failure by government to address inner city blight and education and jobs. So Chuck says, hey, it's not progressive DAs. You would say what to him? I'd say that your job as a district attorney is to prosecute people who commit crimes. There are any number of systems uh, that have their issues. What I'm asking, in Philly at least, is that the DA prosecute people. Do you know what the DA's nickname is up on State Road? You know Philly, so that's where all of our prison facilities are? Sure. His nickname is Let Him Loose Larry. That's a disgrace. And people talk about now getting a Larry. What that is? Reduced or dropped charges. This is the mindset that's going on in a town where people are not fearful about committing a crime or that they'll be caught or sent to jail. If he accepts our invitation, will you come back? You'll invite me. We'll see what happens. Okay. I'm taking that as a yes, Mayor. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Good to see you. Absolutely. To the pandemic and a bizarre question percolating out there, does mouthwash kill COVID? A U.S. senator states it as a fact, but before you go out and buy a giant bottle and begin gargling, we're going to go take that to the director of the National Institutes of Health, along with new questions about what it means to be fully vaccinated. And that's next. Sixty percent of Americans are now fully vaccinated. It's a milestone that we've all looked forward to. But with the rise of new variants, attention is shifting to a different number, boosters. And 15 percent is still too low, health officials say. It's why the FDA authorized the Pfizer booster for 16 and 17 year olds today, while a growing number of colleges and universities are issuing booster mandates for students. So what should that mean for what we consider a fully vaxxed person to be? Here's Dr. Fauci. It's going to be a matter of when, not if. I just say, get, get your third shot. Forget about what the, vac- what the definition is. I just want to see people be optimally protected. That's what I'm concerned about. And for me, that's unequivocally and unquestionably getting a third shot boost. But apparently that may not be enough either. Pfizer's CEO even raised the possibility of needing a fourth shot to contend with the Omicron variant. So what does that mean for defining the fully vaccinated and when does it end? Let's ask Dr. Francis Collins, the director of the NIH. Dr. Collins, thanks so much for being here. You know the question. If I'm inoculated but not boosted, do you consider me to be fully vaxxed? Well, let's try to distinguish between a definition which is being used to decide whether somebody has fulfilled their responsibilities as an employee, like all of the people who work for me at NIH. In that situation, fully vaccinated means you've had two doses of Pfizer or Moderna or you've had one of J&J. But of course, we are learning that those vaccinations do wane in their effectiveness over time. And so boosters are highly recommended for everybody now who's over 18. In fact, as of today, everybody over 16 in order to keep that immunity as high as possible, given that we have a pretty bad time happening right now with the Delta variant 
Once again, cases going up, hospitalizations going up, deaths going up. So if you haven't yet got that booster and you are six months away from Pfizer or Moderna or two months away from J&J, don't wait. This is the moment. Uh, Christmas is coming. The geese are getting fat. Don't wait for your booster. Go and get that. In, in, order, for, in order for me this to is get... going to give you a better protection. In order for me to get into the building here to do the show tonight, I had to flash a pass on my phone and... The requirement is that I be vaxxed and I've had two Moderna and I also had the booster. But it's a very practical question. At what point must someone have the booster for us to consider them fully vaxxed? For example, when will the NIH policy change? It will not. We're a federal facility. We're following the CDC guidelines. So for right now, fully vaccinated for that purpose means the two doses of Pfizer Moderna like you've had are the one dose of J&J. But now where we're talking about taking care of yourself or your family, we know that is better at this point to get that booster. And I hope people hearing this will not hold back on that, especially because, and maybe we want sure. to talk about this too, that, that Omicron is coming and it's pretty clear if you needed one more reason that boosters help a lot in terms of protection against Omicron, because that's not that great with the original two doses of Pfizer from the data that a we good, just saw yesterday. But you get the booster in there and you're in much better shape. Okay. A good warning and a great message. Dr. Collins, I have to ask you to fact check this. It's Senator Ron Johnson. And to be clear, you're about to hear a clip where it's him yesterday and then offering some level of clarification today. Roll it. Standard gargle. Uh, mouthwash uh, has been proven to kill the coronavirus. Even if you get it, if you're, you know, you may reduce viral replication. I'm telling people to take it seriously mm-hmm. and do everything you can to boost your immune system. You know, eat healthy. I mean, there's a host of vitamins. There's actually an NIH study that says, you know, mouthwash can help reduce viral replication, particularly the first day. So he cites an NIH study. You're the top dog at the NIH. What's the deal? Well, it's not an NIH study. It's a study done by some French researchers. And let's be clear, it's not a study that I think ought to make anybody run out and decide that gargling with mouthwash is going to help them if they're infected uh, with COVID-19. These researchers basically showed that mouthwash could reduce the viral load in your saliva, in your spit, to a moderate degree, but it wasn't terribly impressive. It was statistically significant, but I think clinically meaningless. And keep in mind, you've got virus not just in your saliva, you've got it in your nose, in your throat, in your lungs. There was no data in that paper that suggested this reduced the symptoms of the people who were sick, nor did it reduce their ability to make other people around them sick by transmitting it. So I would not say that this is the kind of science that ought to recommend people changing their behavior. If you want to take care of yourself, get vaccinated, get boosted. If you get sick and you're in a high risk position, talk to your doctor, get a monoclonal antibody. Uh, The gargling is not going to help you. Appreciate the clarification. I know that you're moving on in a couple of days. Wish you good things. Well, thank you very much. It's been a privilege to serve our nation. We have the most amazing biomedical research community in the whole world, and that's part of the reason we're in better shape than most places would have thought we could be. We just have to convince the rest of the public to take advantage of all the amazing tools we have in our toolbox now to fight off this terrible pandemic. Well said. Thank you, Dr. Collins. Don't forget to vote in tonight's survey question at Smirconish.com. About to get into this right now, should states be required to fund religious education? It's a yes or no. 
The Supreme Court is dealing with that question itself, an unusual case having to do with geography that could redefine church and state in this country. A parent embroiled in the fight joins me next. Our kids' classrooms have become political lightning rods. We've seen passions erupt over everything from masks to so-called critical race theory. But the Supreme Court is focused on a couple of schools and a unique program that only exists in Maine. The questions in Carson v. Macon could redefine fundamental American principles like separation of church and state, as well as religious liberty. You see, parts of Maine are so rural that they don't have public schools, and in that case, the state will help families pay tuition at private schools. That can include schools affiliated with religious institutions, but not if the curriculum, quote, promotes the faith or belief system with which it is associated. My next guest, Amy Carson, sent her daughter to her alma mater, Bangor Christian, but the state wouldn't help cover the tuition. She's one of the plaintiffs in this case and is joined by her attorney, Michael Bindis. Let me begin with you, Amy, and thank you so much for being here. You're fighting for the right of parents to have their kids educated at religious-affiliated schools and have the state pay for it. Is that fair? Yes, we live in a town that is a tuitioning town in Glenburn, Maine. And, Counselor, why is that not a violation of separation of church and state? Well, the, the program here isn't funding schools. It's funding families, and it's allowing families to decide whether, uh, where to use that money. And currently, parents can choose schools, uh, public schools in neighboring school districts. They can choose private schools. They can choose schools in state or out of state, and the state routinely pays for kids to go to some of the most elite blue blood prep schools in the country, yet parents can't select a Jewish day school or a Catholic uh, parish school in their town, and that kind of discrimination runs flat against the principles of the free exercise clause. When government provides benefits to citizens to use, in this case, at private schools, it has to remain neutral and allow parents to use them at religious or non-religious schools. You know, the case is also, Amy, a reminder to me that elections have consequences. You correct me if I'm wrong, but on Donald Trump's watch, the solicitor general was on your side. Then came the 2020 election, new president comes in, and the solicitor general at the behest of the Biden administration was opposed to your position. Did I get it right? And what do you think about that? I really don't pay attention to a lot of politics, so I can't really answer that. Counselor, did I get it right? You got it right. (laughs) In other words, you started out with an ally in the White House, but did not end up that way. That's right. In a somewhat unusual turn uh, after the change in administration, the United States, which had supported us below and had uh, submitted a brief on our behalf, uh, changed course and at the Supreme Court not only submitted a brief opposing our position, but actually argued in the court against our position. Look, the uh, the legal experts seem to think you have a winning hand given the six to three divide of the court. Counselor, I'll, I'll put this to you. If you're successful, are you now opening up the door to the funding of religious-based charter schools? That really seems to be driving the both advocacy and concerns that people have in this case. It's certainly not driving our advocacy, and uh, this case certainly will not open the door to religious charter schools. Charter schools, after all, are public schools. What this case is about is whether when government makes a benefit that parents available that parents can use at private schools, whether it can allow parents to select any private school they want anywhere in the nation, but exclude 
private schools simply because they teach religion. That's the discrimination at issue in this case. This has nothing to do with whether religion can be taught in charter schools or other public schools. Amy, correct me if I'm wrong, your daughter is 19 now. Why are you, given that she's been educated, still fighting this fight? Why your passion on this issue? We are just trying to see this through to the inevitable end of it. And um, it's been very good for her and a great education. We couldn't have asked for anything better for her. Bible study was a part and parcel of her daily curriculum, right? That's how yeah. every day, how you can understand then someone who might be agnostic or atheist and is a taxpayer, they're watching this and they're saying, geez, I'm unsettled at the idea that my tax dollars are going for Amy's daughter to, relieve, to receive religious training. And you would say what to them? You would only go to a school like that if that's what your beliefs were. Um, right, but why should I be paying? But why should I be paying? I'm playing devil's advocate to advance mm-hmm. that type of an education. Um, I don't think there's any really good answer for that. <laughs> Counselor, what's your answer? Um, My answer my is answer, we do this all the time. Yeah. But- Right. We, we, I mean, how long the Pell Grant program has been has existed in this country for decades. The GI Bill program has existed in this country for decades. As long as those programs have existed, kids have been free to go to Notre Dame, to BYU, to Yeshiva University. And that's perfectly fine. Why can the same principle not apply at the K through 12 level? Uh, that's at, at the end of the day, these programs provide aid to individuals, not to schools, and not a penny goes to any school, religious or non-religious, but for the private and independent choice of citizens. This is not about government funding religion. It's about government providing a benefit to individuals well, and allowing them to use it where they see fit. Thank you both so much for being here. This is one more reason why what a spring or early summer we're going to have, because this case will come out in June or in July, so too, of course, the abortion challenge, and we'll be right in the thick of the 2022 midterm election. Thank you. Appreciate you being here. Thanks for having us. Democracy in retreat. Autocracy is on the rise. We dug into that at the top of the program, but we're about to go deeper with a reality check on what's behind the rise and what can be done to reverse the backward slide of democracy, as President Biden calls it. John Avalon is next. Returning to our top story tonight, as President Biden engages over 100 nations in a virtual summit to promote democracy, his challenge won't be just combating the messages of authoritarian media machines abroad, but the autocrat apologists here at home. John Avalon is here tonight with a reality check. Democracy versus autocracy is the defining fight of our time. And the Biden administration's democracy summit is a sign of solidarity against that rising tide of autocracy. We'll see what concrete commitments emerge or whether it's just a lot of Diplo talk. But the need is real. After all, democracies have been in retreat for over a decade, according to Freedom House, as autocracies pitch the promise of wealth without liberty. Now, predictably, China and Russia denounced the summit even before it began. And no wonder, because they've gotten used to bullying critics into silence and submission. But there are heartening signs of a pushback. The Biden administration has been notably tough on China, contrary to all the Trumpist claims about Beijing Biden during the campaign. And the latest example was this week's decision to diplomatically boycott the Beijing Olympics, 
which was explained by White House, as a stand against China's ongoing genocide and crimes against humanity in Xinjiang, something China, all evidence to the contrary, denies. This week also included a two-hour virtual meeting with Putin, in which Biden warned that any Russian invasion of Ukraine would be met with military aid and unprecedented economic sanctions. But despite the stark change in tone between Biden and Trump when it comes to dictators, what's almost as significant is seeing more businesses put billions at risk to stand up to the Chinese government's demands, like the Women's Tennis Association, which last week announced a suspension of all tournaments in China in response to Beijing's silencing of sexual assault allegations made by tennis star Peng Shui against a top Communist Party official. A few weeks earlier, LinkedIn and Yahoo announced they'd be leaving China, while several clothing and apparel companies condemned the use of slave labor, provoking China's ire. That kind of spine is a stark departure from the retreats we've seen in the past, like the NBA's apology tour, when Houston Rockets general manager tweeted in support of pro-democracy activists in Hong Kong just two years ago. Or when Mercedes apologized to the CCP for quoting the Dalai Lama in an ad. Or when several airlines bowed to demand that their websites remove references to Taiwan and Hong Kong. But perhaps the most absurd example was actor John Cena's hostage-style video apologizing in Mandarin for having made the mistake of calling Taiwan a nation. For the record, Taiwan is a self-governed democratic island which is attending the democracy summit. These apologies are relatively commonplace, if cowardly, as you can see. But what we don't see as much is full-throated defense of Vladimir Putin in U.S. media. But Tucker Carlson provided that with a 12-minute recital of Russian talking points the other night that would have embarrassed anchors on RT. Siding with Putin over Ukraine. You heard Gary Kasparov bring this up earlier this hour. Just take a look at the banners. NATO seems to exist to torment Putin. And... Putin just wants to keep his borders secure and mocking the idea of territorial integrity. This might as well be counted as an in-kind contribution to the Kremlin. But Tucker's actually not all alone in this. Take a look at this cover of Newsmax magazine this much, which hails Vlad the Great, saying, post-Trump, Putin becomes master of the world. This is sick stuff. Tiger beat for authoritarian teeny boppers, as the Washington Pope's Phillips Bump called it but it's part of the authoritarian fetishizing that's one of Trump's gifts to the GOP. Look at this Economist YouGov poll from August showing that Republicans have a higher approval for Putin than Joe Biden. It's this kind of hyperpartisan fever, along with Trump's big lie and the attack on the Capitol, that creates an opening for autocracies to point to democracy's dysfunction. Their goal is to exacerbate cynicism in the political West, says Jessica Brandt of the Brookings Institution. And that's exactly why partisan cynicism and moral relativism here at home play right into their hands. It's also why we need to defend the integrity of our own democracy without apology. And that's your reality check. John Avalon, thank you. I said earlier, the concerns that we have today are not the sort of concerns that I've had at any other point in my adult life until recognizing what's going on in today's headlines. Look, 32 years after the fall of the Berlin Wall, we're fighting for the strength of liberal democracy. When some folks took it for granted, we cannot take it for granted anymore. We'll be right back with your reaction to tonight's program. Time to see how you responded to the survey question tonight at my website at smirconish.com, where we were asking, should states be required to fund religious education? Here's the result. Wow, how decisive was that? 93 to 7%. Uh, That's probably not the way This is going to turn out in the Supreme Court of the United States. The the litigant that you met, Amy Carson, is widely expected to be successful in her battle against the state of Maine. So we'll see next June or July 
when the court issues its opinion in that case. Social media reaction from tonight's program includes this. So if I opened a Satanist-run school in your community that met all standards, you'd be okay paying, right? Well, Sean, there was that requirement if you paid attention to Maine saying, but you can't really be indoctrinating. I pointed out that Amy Walter's now, Amy Carson's now 19-year-old daughter had Bible study uh, to begin every, every school day. By the way, nothing wrong with that. The question is whether taxpayers should be funding it and whether this case is going to open the door for the funding of religious-based charter schools. That's the real issue here. Here's something else from social media tonight. Smirconish, SCOTUS is not deciding whether states should be forced to fund religious education. The question before the court is whether states that choose to fund private schools can exclude religious private schools. Your question is a straw man, both false and deceptive. I don't think so, Thomas. I think that the the question here is whether heretofore those situations where states could have are now going to be absolutely entitled to make that funding decision. Here comes another social media reaction. Smirconish, as long as our leaders in Congress continue to abandon any moral compass and choose donor lists, sound bites, and votes over productive and constructive goals, I fear there's no end to this decline in our precious democracy. Talked about that subject last night, and you've heard me say for a couple of nights now, sadly, the way you get reelected today is to act like a talk host and become a celebrity in cable television news and a fundraising magnet. Bob Dole stated the, you know, laying today in state, that was the lesson. Looked at how Dole conducted himself by reaching across the aisle. One more quickly, if I've got time, it'll have to be a quick one. Casper, uh, journalism is dead. Well, I sure as hell hope not. I thought Gary Kasparov was great. Don Lemon is standing by. Thank you for watching. I'll be back here tomorrow night. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.